0: Today's guest would like to remain somewhat anonymous. The subject matter is controversially charged and there are children involved. This episode is suitable for adults only and Better Call Daddy got the exclusive. Let's jump in. What was postpartum depression like for you?
2: Well, really was my second and my third. I'll start with my son. It it was actually really easy. It was was like six weeks. I kind of didn't want to go out. I didn't want to see my friends. I felt off. It was hard because I had two little babies and it was hard, but But once I got back to work, I was fine. With my third, I thought the same thing would happen. I I recognized the symptoms. I was like, all right, I know what this is. For me, it looks kind of like I don't want to socialize with people. I'm sort of feel kind of frazzled. With my third, I I could not snap out of it. Like I went back to work. I couldn't snap out of it. It just like, and it dragged on and on and on. And finally, actually, then I finally like reached out for help because I was like, I am not able to be who I want to be. I'm not able to be a good mom. I can't, you know, and I, I did, I started taking medication. And then once, honestly, it wasn't even the medication that got me through it was like going and telling someone. And, and that was for me at that point was like enough healing to be able to like, okay, I think I can get over this. And it, at that point, that was like a few years down. That was like three or four years after that. I was like, sort of starting to feel good again. That's a long time. So there were other uh, variables going on that were not apparent to me. And so looking back at it now, I have a much clearer picture of what was going on and why I was responding the way I was responding. Honestly, looking back, I sort of think like it probably started as postpartum depression and then just continued into what was going on around me in my life. Can you talk about what was going on at that point? Basically, this is the first time that I'm really talking about this outside of very, very close friends. Or therapy I really haven't spoken publicly about what's happened to me and you know up until recently I really couldn't talk about it it was very hard for me to talk about I'm in a place now of much more mental health and healing and self-awareness and taking care of myself that it doesn't hurt so much to talk about it and it doesn't I'm very much still in the middle of my story I'm in the middle of recovery and, I, and my hope is that it can help some other people who are sort of going through the same thing it came to my attention when I was just two years ago, I think, that my husband was a sex addict, or is a sex addict. He's a recovering sex addict. Um, it was something that I really did not know. I, I sort of knew something was off. And when you're married to an addict, it th- doesn't matter what the addiction is, um, the spouse or the family suffers, but they don't know that they're suffering because there's a lot of manipulation, there's a lot of lying. The addict's not happy, the spouse is not happy, but no one really knows what's going on. And in the case of sex addiction, it's even more shameful and even there's an even bigger stigma and it just it just goes under wraps until it explodes and uh two years ago it came to my attention that my husband was a sex addict i wasn't fully given the disclosure that i wanted and we basically had the past two years of a major intense recovery dealing with a lot of the consequences and falling out of of that of his addiction and uh, we separated for a year We're we're working together right now, but it's not easy, and it's very much his story as much as my my story. When I reflect back and think that I was dealing with postpartum depression, I was dealing with depression. When things are off, things are off. I didn't know this at the time. I wasn't even aware enough to realize how threatened I felt by other people around me, other women, other people, people who seem more successful to me than me, people who who seem prettier to me. I, I was constantly measuring them in my head. And I didn't even know why I would do that. Like, I just thought, you know, I, I, thought I, I thought I had poor self-esteem. I was in a place where I was conditioned to size myself up against other people. I think I got married very young. So like that security never solidified. And then to be married to, to, to an addict, you don't get that chance to mature. You don't get that chance to become a self-confident person because you just are filled with self-doubt.
0: How did you and your husband meet?
2: We met through a mutual friend um, who had dated him. And then I had, it didn't work out with them. And she kind of recommended him to me. Um, What's interesting is the person that was supposed to be the go-between between us, she was having a baby right during our dating. Like she was unavailable. And I had to speak to her husband, who wasn't the right person to be talking out my worries or things that were sort of like, I was concerned about. And so, you know, there was something in me that sort of like was like something feels off, but I, I could, but like, it just wasn't apparent enough there, you know, it just wasn't apparent. My husband is a very, very nice person. He's a good person. He's a great dad. He is charming. And as addicts are, they use that to their advantage to really build this persona about them. I, I do believe that those parts about him are true. But he was going through real addiction, which was a very dark side of him.
0: I know that this is a big problem in our community and that there are support groups for this because I actually have a family member who goes. But I don't know what it's like being married to somebody who's an addict.
2: You know, I don't, I, I, I always think that I'm not the same as everybody else. But when the more I read and the more I hear it, I actually probably am more like other wives than I realize. You know, I really had a hard time with accepting addiction. I mean, I, even now, I'm very much still in the middle of recovery. I'm still in it. We're still working through it. Thankfully, I believe that my husband has been sober for the past year and a half. Taking this addiction out of it, but taking just any addiction, it's crazy making. They live in an alternate reality and they compartmentalize everything so in their mind they don't even want to believe the things that they're doing it got to a point where it was like in a way he was really living in an alternate reality but again this this is something that started before we were married so what was very hard for me was i thought i i mean i thought and sometimes still do when i'm triggered uh take it very personally it's a very personal thing i am you know i grew up orthodox everything is about the Jewish marriage right everything is about the Jewish home i put so much effort into that and that really was my identity my we were like the cute couple and and i felt close to him which is why it was so crazy making because somewhere deep inside of me we weren't happy and i knew that and we weren't succeeding and we weren't doing well we weren't doing well financially always one of us was depressed but we like it was like one of us was up and one of us was down and it was never like but we really outwardly seemed happy, even to ourselves. Like we went on family trips. We did family vacations. We did family dinners. We were on the same page about um, education and parenting. So even to us, I don't even want to say we were faking it. We were faking it to ourselves. Anytime I would start to question something, something fell off to me or something. or I bring, And I would pride myself, like, look at me. I can talk to my husband about this. I'm so great. We have such a good relationship it would slowly get manipulated. Like I was the one that had the problem with what was going on. It was my self-esteem issue that was nervous that he was maybe looking at other women. It was my issue that the narrative became that I was just like this very nervous, worried person. I even believed that about myself. And they're so good. I mean, addicts are so good at lying. It took me a long time to get my head wrapped around this addiction thing because The last thing I want to say is that I condone any of his behavior or like it, or I don't want to be associated with any of that stuff, but neither does he, but he has an addiction the same way somebody has wine or drugs, and it's not something that he chose. And it's not something that he was like, let me get back at Merav for being a terrible wife. This was something that started long ago, you know, from his own traumatic childhood. Can you talk about how his addiction started? the people that hurt people hurt people, right? It's, it's, it's the tale old story of when you do not deal with problems in a healthy way, they become bigger problems. If there's one thing that I could pass on to my children, it would be face the problems, face the, like, don't make everything all sparkly, amazing, wonderful. Things are hard. Things suck. Things make us crazy. And we have to honest about it and address it and and deal with it and struggle with it and and you know and not just pretend like everything's fine because it will explode did it start with porn um for him it did it started when he was very he was exposed to a very young age and it started with porn and it progressively got worse and worse Um, i don't necessarily want to go into the details of that i have such a different view on it right now you know, you would have said the word porn to me a few years ago, and I would have freaked out, I would have been like, my husband, oh my god, like, it would have been so offensive to me, because, because I was so scared of something, I knew something was off. And it was like, anytime I felt like my husband was like, I was so sensitive to it, but I didn't know why porn is dangerous. Porn is dangerous. I know people say it's, you know, it's harmless for the addict, and for children whose brains are not developed. It's, addictive and compulsive. And it gets progressively worse. Like we both have realized that like with any addiction, it will end in death. It will end in death or recovery. I truly believe that if he was not in recovery, he would not end up alive. He would either commit suicide. He would end up in the wrong place at the wrong time.
0: I think that the vast majority of people don't think that porn is something to be frowned upon. It's become an acceptable thing.
2: Yeah. I think that i can't speak for everybody and not everybody's an addict so there are truly people that can watch porn just like there's somebody who can drink wine have one glass and like i i will never i'm not an addict i do not have addictive behavior i can drink wine and then i can put it away yeah there are some people that can do it there are a lot of people that cannot escape that and it becomes compulsive and especially today when so many people are dealing with anxiety or trauma or, or past issues that they've never really resolved. A lot of people are really harboring past pains and that's how they numb it out. I think that people are not honest about the problems that are involved with it. I've been able to heal enough to remove myself from his actions and say that the problem is not that he's looking at other women and not finding me attractive or being nice to me or that's not really the problem. The problem is that he can't stop. He doesn't have the discipline and it will have major, major consequences, whatever those might be. And so that's really dangerous. When you think about what's at stake for an addict, I mean, up to their lives, it's so scary. I think we need to be talking about really recognizing signs of addiction, learning about how to deal with difficult things.
0: Are you talking to your husband about identifying his addiction?
2: Yes. Like I said, he's been in intense recovery. He's done. He's done some really hard work. Even two years ago, if I had heard of a wife that was putting up with her husband doing these type of things, I would have been like, I'll never stay with him. I would never allow someone to do that to me. I could see myself saying that. And my response to that is, you have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. You don't know. Because first of all, your lives are enmeshed. It's complicated. It's complicated when you know that they've been hurt. It's complicated when you know that it's stemming from something so much deeper than just being an asshole. And when you see that they are not happy with the decisions they're making, it took me a very long time to get here. I almost have compassion. I can tell you that my husband did not want to live the way he was living, but he could not stop. Because the stigma was even more, uh, there was a lot of shame and, and it just propelled it more. I mean, I have put many, 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 many rules into place for my boundaries and what's okay with me and what I do live with and what I don't live with. Just because he's a porn addict and just because I have compassion for him and just because he has a very sad story does not mean that I have to put up with any of that. He has to go to therapy. He has to be accountable. He has to be doing all those work because I have my boundaries too. My, my line in the sand is to knowingly live with an active addict. If he's in the house, he's sober. And if he's not sober, he's not in the house. That's my boundary. And that's my right. People think that it's so courageous to leave. It takes much more courage to stay. How did your kids respond to him leaving? That's the hardest part, I think. My seemingly beautiful family, it really fell apart. It's very hard. We're all still recovering from it my kids saw unfortunately a lot of us fighting the hardest part of it is that for a long time it was was kind of like a dry sober like he was sort of recovered and i was the one that was outwardly upset i looked crazy i would like fall on the floor crying and i would like have a fit about something and i actually remember we took a road trip to chicago and i mean the car trip was hell i was like a crazy lady. I was insane and it scared my kids. And then mom kicked him out. So I sort of took the blame for being crazy mom. That is something that we are all still recovering from. And I am like incredibly honest with my kids. I don't tell them things they don't need to know. They don't need to know details. They don't need to know things that are not appropriate for their age. But they know that he hurt my feelings. They know that we needed time to separate so that we could get along. We could learn how to get along. They know that he did something wrong and that he hurt people the more I get healthy, the more I'm drawn to healthy people. Like I don't have time for that drama. Addicts have a very hard time with discomfort and they will do anything to get rid of discomfort. You know, even my husband now who's in recovery and who I have reason to believe is sober. Of course, you know, there's always, we're still dealing with trust and and I'm not a doormat. So I have very high standards, and I have reason to believe that he's sober. Even he has a hard time with these conversations that I'm having with my kids. He'll walk out of the room sometime because he doesn't want to go there. He doesn't want to go to the con- uncomfortable. When we had a conversation about what honesty looks like, he's like, do you want to know who I'm calling? Do you want to look at my emails? Do you want-? And I'm like, no, I don't really want to know that. Because you could tell me anything. I wouldn't know if it's true or not true.
0: Plus, you don't want to be his
2: keeper. No, I am not his babysitter. Mm-mm. Part of it is like majorly letting go of this need to like, creep on them and find out what they're doing and look through their computer and where are you going like we feel so out of control that we think that we can control them that way they're addicts they don't care there's no consequence that is big enough to scare them off so you yelling at them or telling them that you're going to check their phone is nothing it doesn't mean anything they actually talk about it in becoming your own addiction you become addicted to becoming their keeper i'm in a much better place
0: <laughs> the part for me that i feel like would be hard is the trust
2: part oh yeah i have a hard time in myself and innate not trust i just don't trust people i moved around a lot as a kid um i had situations where i wouldn't say they were like your typical traumatic but i was the new kid a lot and i sort of grew up with this like how is everyone like getting ahead of me how am i being duped here and so having an addict husband did not help that at all uh, and so, yeah, that's like really hard to trust people. I'm very picky about who I work with. I'm very picky about who I talk to. Like, this is the first time I'm talking to someone outside of, you know, like my core people. The way that I'm working through it is that I've learned to trust my gut. I trust my gut. My gut is so good. And it was so right when I first got married and my gut is so like fucking on point. The good thing about this is like, Mirab, you were fucking right you were right about everything all those doubts you had you were right you weren't crazy you were actually right it's a work in progress and trust is something that has to be earned it's not something that's given back do i believe that he can earn trust back i want to believe it so badly yes we have been through some major shit and i didn't want this i mean i was obsessed with my marriage this is it's almost humorous that i'm the person that ended up with uh, this husband it's almost funny it, almost, it brought me to my knees, honestly. There was a point where he hit rock bottom. It was really like live or die. I think that, at least for today, you know, they take one day at a time, but he wants that very much. And I think tomorrow he wants it very much too. Maybe no other wife could have been his other half. We got along so well. We're very similar. We're very similar, like, and we were really good friends. I remember at our wedding, you know, they give you names to daven for, for tehillim. I repeated one line under my chuppah and that was please god let us be best friends he was a shitty husband but we are really good friends because we are holding each other up in really really dark times it's taken a long time for us to get here we're not a typical couple recently back in the house but he's you know not in my bedroom we're not a typical couple but we're really striving for honesty in some way i feel like that prayer has come true So it's not your typical husband, but he's a really good friend. And um, in a way, I feel like we're really best friends. I don't think I could have said this even maybe even a month ago. I don't even know if I
0: could have said this. but To be able to be a best friend to someone and to be able to be empathic and put yourself in their shoes and to be able to understand them, I really think is a beautiful marriage.
2: It is. It can be. I hope that it will be. There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work and there's a lot of commitment and there's a lot of vulnerability. We both have to want it.
0: I have honestly admiration for the work <laughs> that you guys are doing.
2: I don't want anyone to think that I'm an, like I'm like Peril, whatever, Esther Peril. That's oh, what, Esther Perel. Oh. Yeah, yeah <laughs> adultery is fine. It's more passionate. Like, that, like I, maybe it's good. To me, it's bullshit.
0: You grew up Orthodox, have recently stepped back a little, for me, I was drawn into it, then stepped back a little. You even did shidduch dating.
2: Yeah, I, like, I, I have taken a step back from it. Visibly, I started not covering my hair. Um, I started wearing pants, short sleeves, whatever. Uh, my kids are still going to Orthodox schools. I have very strong belief in God and Hashem. I talk to Him daily. It doesn't look what it looks like in the prayer book. And I'm very grateful to my community. I'm very grateful to the Jewish community. I felt like I had a lot of people hugging me in my moment of crisis. I think that there's a problem in the community. The problem, I think, it's the same problem. We just don't talk about struggles enough. The schools want the girls to look perfect. Everybody wants everyone to look perfect. They want the shalach to match. They want, you know, and nobody questions anything and nobody's struggling. Guys, everybody is struggling. Everybody has shit. It's such a disservice from the schools, from the institutions to pretend that these questions aren't coming up and that these aren't happening. I asked my shit of college teacher. I asked her something along the lines of like, "I feel like something's off. I feel like I'm not attractive enough." I, and 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 the answer back was like, "Don't worry. If you have the key features, he'll be fine." I feel so misled. I feel so misled by my religion. I love my religion. I love my people. I feel misled by the education. I feel misled by being led down this path that like the way to a happy marriage is mikvah. I'm not denouncing hair covering or mikvah or any of that, but I'm struggling with it. I will be honest. Mikvah, hair covering, enhances marriage if everyone's healthy. But if mental health is not there, it can be the opposite. Because what happens is you have women thinking that they're living a certain life and they're not, and they're set up to get hurt. You have men who think it's their right to have sex with their wives after mikvah because that's what it tells you. For the unhealthy people, it's dangerous. If we never talk about these things and we don't give attention to the red flags and we don't talk about the red flags and we don't give resources to the red flags, the unhealthy people are the people that are gonna suffer he was sort of trouble, but he was giving me attention. So it felt good. So I was drawn to it. The very thing that I should have stayed away from, I was attracted to. And so we have got to start talking about problems. The shidduch crisis, we talk about like, me, not enough girl. No, 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 no. The shit crisis, the dating crisis is that we don't talk about shit. <laughs> we don't talk about problems. We pretend like they don't exist. We hope that they don't exist. We stay away from people that have them and we don't talk about them. That's, the Shidduch crisis. That is it. I wish there was a resource. You know, I, I wish that was the focus. Like girls being more confident before they get married. Girls really learning to trust their gut and, and learn what's normal and what's not normal. And mental health. Everyone should learn 12 steps before they get married. I don't care if you're an addict or not. Like it's such a healthy way of living. And, and the boys too. Nobody's talking about their sons watching porn. Nobody's talking about it. It's a mistake to think that our orthodox boys and girls have not been exposed to it and have not been affected by it. What do you think should be on the Shidduff resume? It's a good question because somebody called me actually about a girl and I couldn't even honor the call. I don't know his son. There was a part of me that was like, I don't want to be involved in this. I don't know. Maybe he's an addict. Maybe he's going to hurt. Maybe he's going to cheat on her. Like I didn't even want to get involved. I was like this bitter feeling came up. I was like, yeah, I'm not getting involved in that mess. You know. Actually, my husband was like, wait you've been through this and you don't want to help but he actually challenged me he's like you've been through this and you don't want to get involved and help and try to help other people and I was like no I don't want to hear about other people's problems ew gross and he's like wait like you actually and that's one of the reasons I'm actually doing this is because of him because he was like wait you know that there are people who might deal with this and and you you don't wanna get involved. I don't know if I have the answers to what should be on that shit off resume. It would be very weird if on today, all of a sudden that resume said, have porn addiction. I mean, wouldn't that, it needs to come from top down. It needs to come from institutions. It needs to be-
0: But I don't think people should be blackballed if they have looked at porn.
2: Right. No. And I think it's better to
0: talk about it. I agree. And so I
2: think... So maybe that should be listed. Willing to talk about porn addiction? Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, maybe that conversation has to happen between the couple. Maybe that is a standard question that has to be on in the conversation. Or how about how many times a week do you expect to have it? or, Or couples see a mental health professional before they get married. Or what are your thoughts on mental health? My husband was so good, he would have answered every question perfectly. He was good. Addicts are very good. It's almost scary to let the addict answer for themselves. I remember in the height of it, something was revealed that had happened. And I turned to him and I was like, you lied to me. And he's like, I didn't lie to you. He was in an alternate reality. Really addicts are in their own reality. The education is not matching the pace of access. The kids can access it at the age of 10, but we're not talking about it until they're 18 in their classes for marriage. Ridiculous. I was watching a movie with my son. We were watching Diary of a Wimpy Kid. There's a part where the mom finds the kid's magazine in the older brother's backpack. For a normal person, they might not think twice about that. For our family, it's triggering to all of us. (laughs) You know, my son obviously doesn't know, he doesn't know that level of it, but we tense up and, you know, and, and we're like, why are they showing that if they're trying to show you that it's bad? Like, it makes no sense. My initial reaction was to be like, turn it off, shut it down, block the screen, don't talk about it. And then I was like, wait, one second. That's not normal. That's not honest. We cannot pretend that that just, didn't just happen. That happened. We, we talked about that magazine and we talked about the fact that it was funny that the movie was kind of telling you that it was bad, but showing it like, isn't that a weird message? I cannot promise that my kids are not going to have access to that stuff. I, I, it's beyond me. I mean, it's so beyond me. But I can at least say that I've had an honest conversation with them about it. And we've talked about it. And I've told them why I have my problems with it. And, you know, and my husband has even talked to my son why he has his problems with it. Have you talked to your son about sex? We have because it's an important conversation. We've talked him about sex. We've talked him about good touch, bad touch. We've talked to him about women and your right to women's bodies. I cannot control other people, including my son, including my husband. Have any of your kids been mad at you? Oh my God, of course. They were very, very mad at me when my husband first left the house. What it looked like was mom lost her shit, got mad at dad, kicked him out. And as soon as mom calms down, dad can come back in the house. It motivated me to really earn their trust back and promise them that I will always tell them the truth, even if it's uncomfortable. So when I started dressing a little less modestly, when I started doing things that they have never seen me done before, instead of like not making it something we can talk about. Yeah, this is weird. Yeah, kids, mom's doing things she didn't do before. Mom is struggling, you know? Mom is figuring things out. Mom's having a hard time. Mom might even need to call somebody on Shabbos and that's really hard. That's not something we've grown up with before. It's not fun and it's not fun to see your mom do something you think is wrong or you've been taught is wrong or whatever. That's scary, but you can bet your life that your mom is gonna tell you the truth no matter what. When they're adults, they will be able to look back on it and be like, I know that I can trust my mom. My mom has got my back because, because she will tell me the truth. She's not going to lie to me. Do you want your kids to
0: go through shidduch dating and get married mm-hmm. in the same way?
2: Such a hard question, but I don't know. I don't want them to go in the same way as in you know, things aren't talked about and like that for, for sure. I also think that I will probably threaten my kids' spouses with their lives. <laughs> Should they pull any shit like this on my kids, probably not going to be a fun mother-in-law now that I think about it. Somebody who I'm friends with, I heard that she went out of town for the summer and her husband's in one city and, and like my mind automatically, I have no idea what's going on in her life, but my mind was like, he's cheating on her. There's no question. There's no, there's, like that is the way my mind goes. You know, how did
0: your parents respond to this?
2: It was so hard for them. It still is hard for them. Very, very hard. They're old school. That was the generation where like, you really didn't talk, these things weren't things. ADHD wasn't a thing. Depression wasn't a thing. You just got on with it. You know, you just like, did your thing. And to some extent, it's still hard for them. They also really struggle with this addiction thing. Like it's an addiction, like, yeah, control yourself, you know? When I went to them, I used to really, really care about what other people thought my decisions were. I really, really took my parents, principles and, and and I really took it so seriously, I had to tell them my husband's moving back in I'm taking care of my boundaries like I know that I'm taking care of myself I need no judgment I need no judgment and they said, okay, when they did that and that like judgment piece was taken off of me, it doesn't matter if they don't get it it doesn't matter if this is their generation or not just it doesn't matter like this is what's happening it makes me also know that I can lean on them because they're not going to come at me with like well you should and then you should and you shouldn't you know I have so much gratitude for them for this year. And they have been a bedrock for me of support.
0: Since you were like dreaming of being the perfect wife and into matching yep. baskets prior, you can always go back to that. It's <laughs> kind of like perfect Instagram pictures,
2: right? It is. I cannot go back to that. I <laughs> cannot go back to that. I'm different. I'm a different person. At the same time, there are some friends that I feel like I've had to grapple. This was life and death for us. There was a point where I thought my husband was dead somewhere. I did not know where he was. Oh my God. I did not know where he was. He said he was going to be in one place and he wasn't there. And it was right when I kicked him out and I knew that he was suicidal. When you're dealing with life and death, I don't want to care about matching baskets. I do social media. And I really think that like what I bring to my customers is that piece. Like if you want that influencer fluffy thing, I'm not your person. If you want to find your authentic voice and make impact and start discussion, I'm your girl.
0: I'm actually happy for you that your parents did come around and that you had some good close friends that stayed by you and that you did have people in the community that supported you. Because the real from the fake separate themselves in times of difficulty, no
2: question. Oh my gosh, it is stunning how you learn who your people are and who your people aren't. And there are people that I never would have thought were my people that were. And there are people who I thought were my people who aren't.
0: Thank you for having this hard conversation with me. I I am really (laughs) impressed by you. So daddy, what did you think?
1: Well, this is a very interesting interview because it really brings up three or four issues. The first issue was some of the Jewish dating and meeting people. And in her case, you're talking about being an Orthodox Jew, being family, about your religion, about everybody trying to stick away from certain temptations. She had some of her own paranoia about whether she's good enough. The irony here is that her husband has them as well. Fact is, is that he's having some type of delusions. His problem even gets worse, in my opinion, where he becomes this porn sex addict and charmer where he will say or do anything to have sex, where that becomes more important than everything that he believes in. I like how she said that once she got her head together and realized what's going on, she was able to rise above her problems, rise above her confidence issues, and it made her a stronger woman. She did get help and found out that the person who even needs as much help, if not more help than her, is her own husband. She's rising to the occasion and still going back to her roots and saying that still, we have children, we've made a family, we've made a commitment, and I should do everything that I can to not only help myself, but to help my best friend and my husband, where he can hopefully rise to the occasion That we're signed up together to work out whatever shit is out there. I like the way she put it. And I think all of us can take a lesson from whatever addictions or phobias or inhibitions that we have. I thought another interesting concept is that we're taught to watch temptations, Orthodox Jews, where we want to separate the men from the women, cover their heads, try very hard to avoid talking out real problems. And sometimes sexuality can be a wonderful thing for two people to share. And yet at the same time, if you don't have the knowledge and experience of the good things about it and possibly the negative things about it, it can be quite misleading. Where talking about sexual situations is probably more healthy to be knowledgeable than to be naive.
0: I agree. (laughs) Today's episode is sponsored by Rin10 Media. If you want to look and sound your best for a podcast of your own, you want to get in touch with Ren10 Media. When I first contacted them, Better Call Daddy was just a twinkle in my daddy's eye. And now, only after a couple months in, we're at like 50 episodes. Reach out to info at ren10media.co.za and use the subject line, Better Call Daddy. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and tune in. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com.
2: Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. <laughs>